Welcome to the Lulu Logic Podcast. I'm Nick Lewis and I'm your host. Today's guest, man, I haven't laughed like this in a while. It's always good getting together with him because there's always so many laughs. Not only was he one of the best DBs to ever play the game of football, he's one of the smartest DBs to ever play the game of football. He has it both, the physical and the mental attributes, and he's one of the greatest to ever do it. Now he's a coach, and he's passing on the knowledge to the young men in the secondary. I'll just let you listen for yourself. This is the Little Logic Podcast. Today's guest is from Seattle, Washington. Went to the University of Eastern Washington as a DB kick returner and a running back. Before heading north to the BC Lions, where he was a five-time CFL All-Star, two-time Grey Cup champ, and broke numerous BC Lion records, including most interception return yards in a career and season, most interceptions in a season with 12, most defensive touchdowns with six, and most interception touchdowns with five. He finished his career as a member of the Montreal Alouettes as my teammate, one of my teammates. 13 years and 47 interceptions later, now he's the DB coach of the BC Lions. Welcome to the show, RP, Ryan Phillips. What's up, brother? Man, I appreciate you having me, man. Do you, do you remember all 47 picks? No. <laughs> but there are, but there, are, there are a couple that stick out, though. There's a couple that stick out, but it, I think it's impossible. Once you get past a certain amount, which is a good thing, you start to forget for sure. I, I think I got like 71 or 72 touchdowns, and I might, I might only remember 10. But I promise you, like, that's what it is. <laughs> but remember, but remember that, sir. This is the bad thing, though. I tell anybody, if you can remember every single one, you probably wasn't that good. <laughs> that's for real. <laughs> that's true. And you had five pick sixes. Yeah, man. I, I probably should have had a couple more, man. A couple more probably was at the end of the game where I ran out of bounds on purpose just to try to, you know, be classy. I probably, <laughs> You know, you try to you try to be the respectable guy, man. But at the end of the day, man, that don't pay dividends. So you know, you're looking at the record books. You're like, man, I knew I could have scored those two, three other times. But you know, what I'm saying at the end of the day, you know, I guess you want to keep your professionalism. So it is what it is. That's that's pretty awesome stats, man. When you look back at your career and just overall, like when you think about it, like, and you had a lot of tackles. I didn't write down the number of tackles you had, but I think you had over 600 tackles. It's something like that, man. It, I mean, the thing about it is, though, like, I, I tell him, like, you, you get a – there's two ends to it, though. Like, it's very rare that you see guys, one, get both ends of the stick as far as in perspective as being positive. If you're a guy that picks off the ball, they got to find something to knock you on. Or if you're a guy that just only makes tackles, they got to find something to knock you on. It's very rare that you get a guy that can do both, but that actually gets credit for both. So, you know, it's very rare that you had that happen. I mean, I think it's kind of once in a lifetime. I know last time I looked at it, there was only like five players ever in CFL history to have over 500 tackles and, and over 45 interceptions. And there's been none ever since, you know, past 2000. I think Bear Miles is actually the last one before me. So, you know, and even going before that, I think even Glenn Suter, I think is like before that or something yeah. like that. So, I mean, you know, there's only so many guys, but even then, like, you know, even when you think of Bear Miles, you think about, picks you think about block field goals block punts you know yeah. no one thinks of him as the fact that he had 600 tackles you know what i'm saying and so forth so it's hard to put it in perspective but at the end of the day you know you got to go out there and do a job and most of those guys obviously on that list played 10 plus years they played for a reason 
because they held up the standard. So I'm just happy to be, you know, in that company of guys because all those guys are, you know, obviously Hall of Famers and, you know, good community people. So, you know, so I tip my hat, tip my hat off to those guys for sure. I don't know how many picks Chip had, but I know he had a bunch of tackles. I know he had about 500 tackles on me because I had 500 catches on him. <laughs> Why did I feel like I did that? <laughs> I knew some way. As soon as you said Chip, I said, this going to go one of a few ways. Like, I'm not really for sure. <laughs> you, know, you know when I get Chip on here, it's going to be a battle. Oh, my gosh, man. Listen, if I could be a fly on the wall, <laughs> I promise you. I would pay money to be there too because it's going to go one of a few ways, especially like when he starts getting into it and his voice change. Oh, I'm going to be crying <laughs> when his voice starts squeaking a little bit. Cause he's going to be like, man, this guy, Hey, when he starts doing that, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Cause I'm going to start laughing and it ruins everything immediately. <laughs> oh my what have you been doing to um, keep yourself busy during COVID? Man. I mean, honestly, um, I mean, I've still been in tune to football. I mean, you know, you got to stay in tune. Um, we didn't really know exactly what was going to take place as far as the season. Um, you know, we still don't know really at this point right now all the way. Um, you know, so you got to stay in tune. You got to be ready to go at all times. Um, but even then, I've been looking, you know, to build my cell phone up as a coach as well. Um, been, you know, steadily watching film, even trying to build my own playbook and so forth because, you know, long term, I want to be able to be a defensive coordinator and even go from there. So, you know, this has definitely been a valuable time for me to be able to sit back and actually, you know, more so pay attention to myself and my growth as a coach, um, you know, getting around, talking to other coaches and doing things like that. So that way I can develop a scheme that I think fits my style, um, fits what I want, um, whether that's at the CFL level or even coming down into the state. So I've been trying to take advantage of my time as much as possible, obviously being with family, training these kids and, you know, being with my son, who's now going into high school, um, he's getting ready to as well. So this is the longest period of time I've actually been at home, you know, and yeah. we've been taking advantage of it. So he's been working out with me four days a week. He's starting to look a little different. He got a few muscles and stuff. I'm like, man, he's feeling himself right now. He's real confident. So, you know, sometimes you got to knock him around a little bit to bring him back to reality. But I caught him the other day, you know, walking around with his shirt off and like looking in the mirror every time he passed it. So I, I, I can't stand that. I, I hate that so much. I, he act like his daddy. Man, no, I, I wasn't doing that because I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't hitting them weights like that at that age. So <laughs> ain't no way in the world that was going to work for me. But he is feeling himself, I promise you. Let's watch, man. I'm going to send you some pictures, man. You will be like, that ain't the same kid, I promise you. I know he's growing up. That's how my yeah. nephew, he's going into high school as well. When you say your defensive style, you're going to be aggressive. You're going to be – because in 2014, I, I really believe that's what changed the CFL. Uh, when when nobody could get a thousand yards, there was only two receivers. I was hurt, or I'd have been one of them. But there was only a couple receivers that got it. They changed the um, where defenders can't put their hands on receivers, and it now a lot more teams play a lot of zone. Uh, you see a lot of the match principles from Stube that Clay has kind of adopted and, and done some different things with. Stein Howard's doing the same th kind of thing over there. And they've kind of morphed into these uh, so much more. Uh, you learned from some stuff from Clay last year. Um, what kind of style are you looking to do? Uh, for me, I mean, honestly, it's, I think you should be a hybrid at this point because um, I think you have a lot of more hybrid athletes that enable you to do certain things. Um, I think a lot of times a lot of defensive coordinators don't take advantage of that based on the personnel that you have in there. I mean, you've got to be able to adjust to the guys that you have in the room. If I got four linebackers and two of them can actually, you know, get in a defensive line stance and get after the quarterback, but also can pass drop, 
well, then maybe I probably shouldn't take them off the field. I mean, you know, if they can play the run and be able to be stout in the run, and, but then they can give me everything I want in, in those three downs, then I should utilize those guys. Um, yeah. So be able to be a hybrid style is definitely something that I look forward to trying to, you know, do. Um, I think the match principles and things like that, um, I think those are still things that can always confuse the quarterback to a certain degree. Um, but I don't think there has to be an every down or, you know, to the point that they can, you know, telegraph exactly what you're doing. So, you know, for me, it's being able to capture the opportunity. Um, you know, quarterbacks in this league are going to give you one. But yeah. if you're not taking advantage of it, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, there's some things that aren't, that aren't going to change. Down and distance is never going to change. Uh, certain principles aren't going to change. The value of defense is to make sure the offense gets the ball back in proper field position. That's just the reality. Um, if we're able to score points, great. That's definitely something I want to be able to do. But I want to win games. So I want to win games by stopping the opposition, making sure we're playing with good field position. And then when our opportunities come, make sure that we have it. So, you know, zone blitzing and things like that, those are huge. Um, but I want to be able to play to my personnel. And if I have guys that can play bump and run, then let them play. You know, if I have guys that, you know, are more zone scheme and more able to look at the quarterback and make plays on the ball, then great. But I, no matter what, everything starts in the trenches. And if you got a defensive line that can get out the quarterback, you got to let them guys go out there and go ahead and fly and let the defensive backs, you know, now go ahead and pick the ball off in the air. So, you know, that's kind of how you want to approach the game as well as, uh, you know, make sure that you put guys in position to be successful. But aggressive, that's definitely going to be my model from the jump and then try to see what I can do from there if I do have to make any change-ups at all. Yeah, because, you know, when I talk to younger coaches and some of the guys that's getting into coaching now, because – one of the dynamics is a lot of great players can't coach. Um, Milt was on Damon Allen's show yesterday uh, on his Instagram live. And he was talking about that. He was like, I can't coach because I would expect guys not to drink, to work as hard as I work, to do this, to do that. When AC first got into coaching, it was like, this is how I was successful. This is how you need to be successful. That's a hard transition. But also things that we don't think about is like, I'm a free flowing guy. Like I see something, I'm like, we can install this or we can exploit this. But there's a lot of older coaches and a lot of people that said, this is our defense. This is our offense. This is what we do. And it's going to work if you do it well. But now it's like you're starting to mold it towards whatever pieces you have. Yeah, now that dynamic has changed a lot. I mean, obviously I've been able to play under a lot of defensive uh, coordinators that were very successful, but they were successful in their own way. Like, Benny is not like Stu, just like Mark Washington is not like those guys. Just like Dave Ritchie, my first original one, is not like those guys. And they all are different personalities. But they own. They, but the thing I will say about them is they take their personality into their scheme. Yeah. One thing I admire about Mark is Mark Washington was an X's and O's guy when he was a player. He's an X's and O's guy right now. And if you ask him the whys and the hows and things like that, he will break them down to a science. And that's something that I always admired about him. And that's something that I will always take from him because you have to have some reasons of why you're doing what you're doing. You got to be able to explain it so that, that way guys can understand, but more so they can believe in what you're giving to them so that way they can go out there and play fast and confident. Now that makes the execution level that much more higher. But like ball guys like Baron Miles, Baron is a ball guy. He's going to tell you, hey, man, if you're right there, man, he expects you to make the play. Yep. Plain and simple. He's going to put you in that position. After that, it's up to you. And if you don't do it, he's going to tell you about yourself. I mean, that's just the standard he lives by. Where Dave Ritchie is, a, he's a mixture of both. Dave Ritchie was the fun guy, but then also he'll go nuts on you in a minute. So, you know, you got to be able to do what you do and be yourself. And one thing about me is I definitely want to have fun. I want to have fun with my defense. You know, if we sit out there and make plays, I'm going to celebrate with you. 
you know, it might rub some people the wrong way. But at the end of the day, I want guys to be energetic and have fun because I want to have fun with the game too. You know, the game is only so long. Everybody's not going to be as fortunate as the Wally Bonos and be able to coach forever in a lifetime. So the opportunity I do have, I want to make sure that I'm having fun with the people that I'm having it with. And I want those guys to be able to want to play for me. I want those guys to be confident in the locker room, confident in the meeting room that I'm giving them and presenting them with something that they believe can work. But at the end of the day, they got to believe that they can execute it. I can draw up whatever I want and I can think mentally, okay, this is why this should work. But for those guys who go out there and believe it is going to work, even if I drew it up wrong, they still have a higher percentage of making it successful just because they believe it was going to work. So that's something I think gets missed. I think that's something that uh, sometimes coordinators believe that their scheme is so great that regardless of who they have, it should work. I don't believe in that all the way, honestly. Mm-hmm. This is professional football. Like, you got to have guys that can play. you got to have guys that can execute. This guy maybe should be open on his deep route all the time, but regardless of the fact you ain't got a quarterback that can throw it, I don't care how much you draw it up. It ain't getting there. It ain't happening. So that's just, you know, that's the reality. Um, so, you know, you got to have those things go hand in hand. And if you got to adapt those things, you can't be so stubborn to the point of just thinking that your scheme is so great that you don't have to do so because that's just not the reality. That's just life even in general. you got to adjust sometimes. You get bumps in the road. You face adversity. You might have to change up your cards a little bit. But at the end of the day, you know what I'm saying, you want to make sure that you come out with something that's going to make you successful. Speaking of your guys, you got TJ, Lee, and, and Grimes, Aaron Grimes, and um, – how was it working with them last year? You've known them for a long time. They're from the Seattle area or the Washington area, and, and you've known those guys for a long time. How was it going in and working with two guys that's, that, that are vets in the league, but, um, you know, that you can still have the confidence to go in and help those guys get, get better? Yeah, it was probably uh, one of the worst first-year experiences ever. I mean, <laughs> just, <laughs> some of the worst teammates that I've ever seen like terrible leaders in the room. <laughs> um, now, nah, honestly, you know what? The funny thing about them too, obviously they're childhood friends, um, but they have their own competitiveness amongst each other. Um, and it comes out in the room. Um, they lead in different ways. Um, you know, Grimes is more of a, he will talk, he'll get guys together. He's going to lead by that. Where TJ is, I'm going to talk, you know, to an extent, but you're going to see what I'm going to do. And no matter what, like, you could talk to TJ. TJ can mess up 25 times. But one thing about TJ is his confidence is never going to waver. He still thinks he's the best DB in the room. He still thinks that he should be able to be at this, you know, at this level of things. So I admire that, though, because it you have to have that to be successful. Or what I should say is you have to have that to be elite. And those guys want to be elite guys. Those guys want to be at the top when you're mentioning DBs amongst the CFL. They would have a hard time, you know what I'm saying, really dealing with the fact that their names weren't mentioned. And I admire that in that sense. So you can leave the room to those guys like that. Someone that's more indecisive about themselves, you can't do that. So they made my job easier as far as when I wanted to have a meeting early in the morning and maybe I couldn't do it because I was doing something game planning wise or something like that. I could tell those guys, hey, watch this, that, and the other and make sure that you correct these, you know, correct these errors for practice today so that way we can get things flowing. And they'll make sure, you know, saying the meeting is flowing. They'll make sure that guys got the point across. They'll make their notes and they'll tell me, you know, what happened or what they didn't understand. So that way we can make corrections throughout the course of the day. So their accountability alone, which every leader should have, is very high. They don't mind saying, okay, yeah, that was my fault or I messed up on that. They're not looking to blame anybody else. They just have the leadership qualities to lead the room. And I relied on those guys a lot. They made my transition a lot much easier. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, so I feel like, you know, if this season does go or even if it is the next year after, 
um, they'll still make my room that much more easier because now those guys that they molded will now become vets as well. So that should make our room just that much more efficient. And that way we can make more plays uh, throughout the course of the year. What do you say the biggest surprise was for you coaching? And what was the best part of it? The biggest surprise? Um, well, I can't say the hours. i tell you that. <laughs> it's definitely the hours. Uh, yeah, uh, y'all was out by 4 o'clock every day. Man, I, y'all lived a different life than me. Man, no, I will say that. that we weren't living that life. <laughs> that, that offensive life was not mm – -mm. I, I, I can tell you right now, I know that's not for me. So, man, you know, I might have to go, you know, see the defense or special teams. That's it. So, but, um, I mean, just the, the biggest surprise, honestly, is you know, you really are aware of how many personalities and how many things take place as a player within the locker room. Um, the different opinions, perspectives, um, how things are handled, structured, you know, from a discipline standpoint, everything. But then to see it from the coach's point of view, when you're in these personnel meetings, when you're uh, seeing now from a structure standpoint, how you want to implement, you know, certain things, whether it's game plan, how you want to conduct personnel, um, having that adventure of actually telling somebody that they're probably not going to play this week. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of other things that <laughs> I didn't really picture as a player that you're dealing with now. And it changes the dynamic um, because the reality of it is guys like me and you who aren't that far removed, yep. we still have player feelings to some degree. Yeah. So when it came to certain instances, it's like your player mentality kind of kicked in for the second and you'd be like, Oh yeah, I'm not that anymore. So now you got to be this guy which is difficult to do at times, you know, because you actually care about these guys. You know, you grow a relationship with them. You know, you want these guys to be successful and you're rooting for them and you understand these guys got families and so forth, but the nature of the business is what it is. And yeah. we were fortunate enough to play long enough to understand that thoroughly, whether that's, you know, within ourselves or seeing guys around us that we also knew that, you know, maybe either got let go, you know, maybe got the bad end of the stick or whatever the case may be, but now you're that guy. So that was, you know what I'm saying, like, no matter how much you can think about it, it's nothing like encountering it directly. And that was a big thing for me, like to tell somebody that they're not playing, to tell somebody that they're not performing up to standard. You can say it as the homie, but as the coach, yeah. it's just a different, it's, it's a, a different, different feeling, feeling, man. <laughs> it's a different feeling. And, you know, they're still looking at you like, what the heck, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, it's just kind of what it is. So, you know, that's, that's something that was different in itself. But, I mean, the best thing was, honestly, I mean, there's nothing like being still in a part of the game once it's gone. I think like that is still a great feeling. Like I would still approach game days as if I'm a player. Yeah. 100%. That's what it is. Like I would approach it as a player as far as warm-ups I'm still doing the same thing. I'm thinking I could throw the ball 60 yards and <laughs> doing all kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? I'm out here messing around. You know, I don't know what I'm doing, throwing my shoulder out. I'm going home icing my shoulder. Like it don't make no sense. Like just doing stupid stuff. But I'm having fun with the game. And that's the thing about it. I feel like sometimes Coaches get so wrapped up in, I got to be this. Yeah. You know, I got to be that. And my thing is, that's fine if that's really your true personality. But if anybody that knows me, if I went ahead and did this, they'd be like, man, that's not, that's not RP. Like, that's not who that guy is. That's not his character. That's not his personality. I can still demand we play at a high level, but I'm still got to be myself. And I got to get you enthused to play. I got to get you focused in on the details. But we're going to go out there and we're going to have fun while doing it. So if we're going to go out there and whoop somebody, well, we're going to have fun while doing it because that's what I'm going to do with it too. You know, like I said, we make plays. I'm going to celebrate with you. I'm going to love you. And then at the end of the day, if we're messing up, I'm still going to love you the same, but I got to correct your mistakes. That's, That's just how it is. So, I mean, you you can't lose sight of that. I think once you lose sight of that, then you got to get away from the game. And once I stop having fun with the game, then that's it. Like, I won't watch no more. I won't do nothing. Like, at that point, I'm done. But I can't see that happening no time soon. And 
that's just who I am. And I'm going to always, you know what I'm saying, embrace that every year as a coach or even as a dad or whatever the case may be. That's just a part of me. Just a competitor. And when you go back to what your surprise was, and I think back to like me telling Rutt, like we all played together and I played in Montreal with him for three years and we all hung out off the field, like all the time. And, and then going into this situation to separate it, but he wasn't playing bad. Mm-hmm. He was playing really well. And I had to say, like, you know, like, this is not my decision, but I can't say this is not my decision. Absolutely not. Right? So it's like, (laughs) you're not playing this week. Why am I not playing this week? You know, the numbers. And the numbers suck. That, you know, when we we sit, like you said, you sit in those meetings and you're sitting here going over Canadian ratio and, when everybody's like, okay, is this guy going to play? If this not, guy's not going to play, then this guy's got to be down. Well, what about this guy? What about this scenario? There's so many things that go into it. Yeah. I mean, how many trade talks? How many different things that you hear on a daily basis, a weekly basis? You know, I remember one time last year, it's like, we're about to get Darrell Walker. And it's like, are we? Are we? <laughs> Hey, I wasn't even in the office room, and I was like, "Are we? Are we? Like, because I I could use him. <laughs> like, you know, he could, come, he could get some free safety if he wants to. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, but I feel it though, and that's the thing though. Like, like I said, those meetings get rough. Yeah. And my thing is, obviously, they get even rougher when you're not winning. I mean, that's just the reality of it. You know, 100%. when you're winning, obviously, you know, what I'm saying like those meetings can still be tough because you know injuries and things like that take place. So you got to, you know, you got to have guys in the depth chart that can replace those guys. But it's an easy feeling at times when everything else is in sync. But when things aren't in sync and now you have to tie in trades and you got to tie in injuries and now you got to tie in if this guy just fits this spot better or maybe we need to move this guy over here because he creates a better pass rush. And now who do we place him with here? Those things now become a different dynamic. And this guy can't get hurt. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like we had guys like that. Like, honestly – Grimes got hurt, you know what I'm saying, at a bad time for sure. Yeah. Especially like we started to win a little bit. But if I would have lost TJ, I don't know what the hell would have happened, just to be honest. Yeah. Just just due to the fact that people feed off of him. You know, it's just what it is. Like his energy on the field, the way he plays the game and approaches it, it is very contagious. And that's just the reality. But I think a lot of guys would have lost function if, you know what I'm saying, both of those guys would have been gone at some point. So yeah. You know, those personnel meetings are rough, man. You know what I'm saying? Because everybody doesn't have the same opinion, first off. Mm-hmm. Everybody doesn't have the perspective of the player or their value or what they can or can't do, whether that's on offensive defense or even on special teams, because we still have to help that dynamic too. You know, we all do that and help on that collectively. So those meetings get rough, man, and they even get rough for the coaching staff. They think it's easy for us, but when we got to go down and deliver that message, you know what I'm saying, that makes it even rougher, especially when you're probably on the other side of it you know, when you're in the meeting room, you know, yep. deliver the message to a guy that you probably didn't want to sit down. That is the worst. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the worst. So. Cause you can't, you can't give him a reason why he's sitting down. No. He's one of your hardest workers. He's your leader. He's doing everything that you asked to be done, but the numbers, right? Yeah. When the numbers change, when somebody else doesn't perform and you got to change the ratio. Right. And that's just like, it's, it's hard. Very hard, but we made it through. I enjoyed it. Are you frozen? I think you might be frozen. 
Yeah, it froze a little bit. We back go. We're good. But yeah, man, that was um it was a hard situation. But like I said, we made it through and um I learned a lot, but I enjoyed it. I enjoy working with those guys on a daily basis. We had a, we had a great team, man. We we didn't get blew out. We didn't get, you know, there's a lot of things that could have went wrong, especially at the end of the year mm-hmm. when uh, Mike got hurt. We could have just said, you know what, we're done. Fold the tents. Yep. We got beat by I think what eleven points in the last three games combined. Yeah, by Winnipeg, Calgary, and Sass. Yep. Right, exactly. Gave up. No, for sure. Guys could have gave up, but like I said, that speaks volumes about the characters in the room. Um, but also to the same extent, like I said, just figuring it out. You know, even if it takes a little bit of time or a long period of time, it's just figuring it out. And there's not one person I don't think in the room, whether that's from a you know a player standpoint, a coach's standpoint, that doesn't feel like they could have did something. You know, maybe a little bit differently. You know, what I'm saying that maybe could have you know helped may, maybe differentiate the outcome of the season, but. You know, at the end of the day, like I said, it's a learning experience for everybody. You know, and at the end of the day, you know what I'm saying, you got to make sure that, you know, you just put your best foot forward all the time. You're doing what you thought was best in the moment. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But you got to be able to live with that. But everybody doesn't always take accountability for those things. And that's something that, you know, you definitely learn in this process too, that, you know, even from this side of things, um, you know, the accountability and things like that sometimes waver as well. So, you know, you got to make sure that everybody's upholding their, you know, upholding their end of the bargain. So then that way, like I said, you can always look someone in the eye and say, yeah, I, you know, I did the best of my ability, you know, when, it's, when it comes to the end of the year. Have you ever been around Rick Campbell before? Is this the first time? Yeah, as far as, I mean, obviously at this type of state, yes. Um, yeah. You know, I've seen him through passing. I know him through passing. Obviously from playing, like, you know, we might, you know, may have chatted a little bit during, the, you know, during the game or before the game or something to that extent. But this is the most I've been around Rick. And, um, you know, saying this is – it's definitely different in regards to like him and Clay for sure. You know yeah. what I'm saying? As far as their approach goes. Uh, but outside of that though, the thing about it is though, they're both still guys that expect to win and win at a high standard. I mean, regardless of the fact, like everybody has a different approach. You know, our approaches can be different. But my thing is at the end of the day, we're looking to win the game. And that's what it is. We're trying to put our guys in position. But at the end of the day, we're also trying to make sure that guys understand what we're doing it. I mean, how we're doing it, why we're doing it, and what's the reason for doing it fast. And at the end of the day, it actually get us to where we need to be. So, Rick is a good guy, though. Honestly, I they mean, do. like he's honestly, uh, he's a kind-hearted guy. Uh, yeah. He's a guy that's in tune to what's going on. He wants to be, you know, in, uh, in tune with the players in the locker room. Um, he wants to, you know, have his stamp on things, but also he gives you the freedom to be able to coach. And that's what I like about it the most so far. Like he, look, he's looking for your input. He wants to know your ideas. He wants to know your thoughts about it. And, you know, even if he wants to do it or even if he agrees with it all the way, it's not one of those where it's like, okay, yeah, what you're saying just doesn't make sense and, you know, anything like that. It's like, you know what, I like that. I think that's something that we could build towards. You know, maybe let's just do this, but we're going to implement a little bit of what you said right now just to get these guys going. So then when we do eventually get there, then it's not foreign to them. Like, and I think that's how it should be. You know, in order to evolve, it doesn't mean that you just cut everything out. It's like, okay, yeah, we got our base model. You know what I'm saying? Let's just put a little bit more in it. So let's put a little bit more in the engine. Okay, now we're gonna change the exhaust when we put your stuff in now. Like yep. there's nothing wrong with doing that. And he he's not looking for credit. He's not trying to discredit him, you know, himself or anybody else. He knows that we're doing this collectively. And that's how our meetings were honestly throughout the uh off season. Um it's all about, you know, he might call me directly and ask me what are my thoughts about this. And he'll be like, you know, call me back in three days and tell me what you came up with. Uh, you know, I'm th- I'm thinking about this kind of base model defense. What kind of coverages would you want to do with this? We, you know, make this our base model defense or, you know, this might be our change up personnel wise. You know, what kind of things do you think we could do with it? 
And I think that's a great way of one seeing one where your coaches are at, you know, the things that they can come up with. Because during the course of the game, I want to have the confidence to say, hey, hey, man, they're killing us on this. Hey, what do you think we should do right here? And I want to have the confidence to say that to you and believe that you can give me something. Yeah. If I don't believe that you can give that to me, then I honestly don't think that maybe you should be my assistant coach. That's just being honest. Like, 100%. I, if I don't think I can rely on you for an adjustment and I believe that confidently you can give me something that I think can honestly work, at the end of the day, I, I feel like there's certain coaches that put smarter guys around them. And I don't mean smarter as far as just straight intelligence. That I mean smarter as far as, you know what, I might be so caught in the structure of the game right now that I can't come up with this, but I know that you got me for sure. And they're just smarter in that moment as far as figuring something out because they've been in tune to the game and I'm confident that they can give me something schematically that can get us out of this rut or whatever they're doing to us to damage us. So I think that's the position he puts us in. I think that's what he's kind of been prepping us for. Um, and I think it's one of the better transitions as far as off season uh, um, goes for me, as far as now having the confidence to build myself up as a, as a, uh, as a DB coach, but also my insights of being a future coordinator now I've been able to have this time to be able to try to, you know, work out my kinks and things like that when it comes to my schemes that I want to do when I get to that next level. I'm 100% with you. And um, that's why I felt like we could have done better in office last year. Mm -hmm. I felt like, you know, I understand the whole rookie coach things, but, I mean, there's certain people that know the game. You're one of those people. There's no way I could have played the game for 14 years if I didn't know the game. Like, <laughs> there's no way you could physically run that slow. <laughs> and get open that much without understanding what's going on everywhere. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, just, I tell them, it's, just, it's just not possible. It's not. Like, nobody could tell me that someone that ran 5-2-6 kicks out. <laughs> no one. If I call, if I told the RP right now, hey, you think someone running 5-2-6 can catch a 1,000 balls? No, I was, up, I was under five. Every, I was under five flat. Whole career. Hell no. I, I no way. Them last two to three years, it was five one two, five one seven. Because I jog two six. Like Milt said, it's all about patience. Well, damn patience. That's just <laughs> that's just in the slumps. <laughs> but no, but but even then, though, like honestly, though, like like truthfully speaking, though, like you to the fact of the matter for someone to be able to execute even doing that yeah. you have to be at another level and that's being honest like there were certain times I feel like in the course of the games and later parts of my career where I felt like what we used to call being in the matrix yeah I felt like the game was so slow because I felt like pre-snap I already knew exactly what was happening based on down and distance or whatever else I'm like okay they're running this right now this guy split this way okay whatever this quarterback just looked at me or he just looked at him. Okay, I know where that is. And at this point, I am barely even moving. And, like, literally guys be like, man, how come you're not moving? Or how do you know that's happening right now? I'm like, man, the game has just slowed down completely. Because at this point now, you've actually mastered the fact of what you now can see in pre-snap to the point where now it makes the game that much slower, easier for you to make plays. Yeah. And that's just what it is. And some people take that as, oh, yeah, you're just keen on yours. No, I'm keen on everybody. Like, Everybody. I think that's what makes great, you know what I'm saying, guys that can go from being great players to actually now being coaches and also how you articulate things to the player. But to be able to see the whole game for what it is, like, I'm not looking at my receiver. He's the last guy I'm looking at, to be honest, to some degree. I'm going to look, at, you know, at my spot, I would look at from the third receiver to the tackle to the quarterback. Yep. And now after that, I'm going to find a running back and let him see. Because based on whatever I studied before, 
that running back could give me an indication whether he's throwing away from the quarterback a lot, you know what I'm saying, on second down, or whether he's doing X, Y, and Z. So I've already knew that already. So now when they now go ahead and come at me full speed, I don't care what they do because I already feel like I got a, you know what I'm saying, a, a, a good thought process of how this is going to execute. So, I mean, that's just something that has to take place. And IQ has to be at a whole nother level for you to play 10 plus years because your body still ain't going to do the same as it was your rookie year. It's just the reality of it. Mm-hmm. And you have to know the game and the X's and O's to be able to play at a high level consistently. And yeah. I, like, you know, the young rookie coaches, I understand they want to put them in the box, but at the end of the day, those same young rookie coaches were the same guys that was, you know what I'm saying, coming out to be all-stars all the time, just like they were coming out to be guys that they want to put on the pedestals, having high IQs, just like those same rookie coaches now became the Wally Bonos, the, Huff, uh, the Huffs, the Dave Dickinsons now today. You know what I'm saying? Those same guys that are winning great cups, they were all rookie coaches at some point, and someone had to take them off the leash. So, you know, That's you it. can't be afraid to. You can't be afraid to. Cannot be afraid to. And it's funny that you said, like, when you talk about you don't look at your receiver. I always tell receivers that if you look at the DB that's across from you, then that means you're worried about him. And if you're worried about him, you got a lot of problems. Because <laughs> sure. if you can't beat him, <laughs> you don't, you don't need to be here. <laughs> Only time uh, I look at the DB in front of me is in one-on-ones. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh, that is so real, though. I'm telling you, man. But sometimes, sometimes you know, they used to get me because, like, you set your feet and just it just hit me because I'm not looking at you. Like, I'm running down the field, you backing up. I'm not looking at you, and then all of a sudden they set their feet, and hit me, and I'm like, oh, he didn't, he didn't got me. <laughs> he didn't hit me. <laughs> Hey, that is funny though, but it's so real though. But it's true. I, I got, hey, I got hit like that one time. It was by SJ. I'll never forget. I was so mad too, man. I thought I wanted to fight him after that because I'm looking and I'm seeing and I'm seeing the whole play develop. And he ran and just pushed the hell out of me. And I think I rolled too. And that's what I thought to myself. I said, man, my kids seen this. I can't get up. <laughs> hey, I got up, man. I act like I was man. I was like, man, I think I want to fight him right now. I was so embarrassed though. It was just because I was embarrassed. But I wasn't even paying them no mind, man. It's just stuff like that, though. So I feel you 100% on that. For and sure. that's the way it be sometimes because you – I always say if you, the more people you can see, mm-hmm. right, if I'm in the boundary, if I'm crossing the field, I want to see the Sam. Mm-hmm. If I'm not going over 10 yards, my folks – I need to look at the safety mm-hmm. unless he's coming down to the box. Mm-hmm. My focus on the Sam. I want to see what he's doing. That's the only person that's going to hit me. Absolutely. I'm not worried about the halfback out there, even if he is low. If I get that far over there, if I'm just now getting the ball, (laughs) we got issues. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, our pass rush is terrible. I tell you that much. That's for sure. If you can run from over there and get all the way to the opposite hash, we ain't get we ain't get nowhere. And then you know you got all these receivers crossing, like running crossing routes. They start looking before they even cross the middle linebacker. I'm like, dude, like you have no idea what's going on in front of you. Mm -mm. Absolutely. It's um. But those are the little things that that takes you from just being a great athlete to being a a big time player. Um, you got into coaching a long time ago, mm-hmm. coaching little RP. Yeah. How long have you been coaching a basketball team? And and tell me about what it's like just watching him grow from where he was to where he is now, and you've been a part of that. Man, you know what? I didn't even want to do it, which was funny. I actually got kind of conned into doing it. So 
Um, it was Ryan six. It was a sixth grade year. Uh, the coach that they had at the time um, just wasn't uh, performing up to standard as far as like he just had attitude issues. He would get kicked out of games sometimes, you know, just things like that. And so it happened a few times, and I ended up filling in because he got kicked out of the gym. So he would get kicked out of the gym. I'll go over there, coach, and then we ended up winning games. But the bad thing about it was, even though we're winning games, the parents more seen the fact that the kids were actually having fun. And that's what it was. So it ended up being a practice and I wasn't even there. Like I came back to Vancouver and, <laughs> and so Ryan's mom ended up calling me and goes, Hey, um, we're having a meeting at practice and the parents are asking if you would be the coach. And I was like, huh, wait, what? And it was like, yeah, they're asking if you'd be the coach. So our director his name is Daryl. He was like, Oh, well, Daryl's supposed to call you. And they asked me, and I told them, I don't know, you got to call Ryan. And I said, well, thanks. Like, you just, you know, basically just screwed me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so then they called me, and, you know, they was like, hey, man, you know, would you be up to doing it? And I told them then, at that year, I said no. I said, because I don't want to be one of the replacement guys as far as that goes. And it's not to, you know, embarrass, you know, the coach that they had at the time. Because it wasn't necessarily that he was doing a bad job. He just wasn't controlling himself. But he had other things going on amongst family that we, you know, ended up finding out um, later yeah. on. Um. I started that very next year and it was my team from there. And, you know, we started winning tournaments. Like we went to the Nike tournament, you know, at, on Nike campus and things like that. We ended up winning that, um, you know, saying that, that very next year. So the level was high and now, but you know, the most important reason why I was doing it at the time was, yeah, I wanted to see RP be able to mold into something, but I didn't want to put my hands on him because I want him to have his own identity. Yeah. You know, I don't want him to. Well, you already, gave him your name. Right. Exactly. So that's already enough. <laughs> and especially being here, especially being here, you know, it's like, oh, that's low RP. So that, at that point, he's already labeled. So that's why, honestly, I didn't put him in football at the beginning because I didn't want him to be trying to live up to this expectation of being X, Y, and Z. So just go hoop. Let that be your own thing. You know what I'm saying? Let you develop your own stuff. But now it's getting to that point now that now he's 14 years old. Now he's looking forward to all this. So now, you know, he's getting ready for football. And now yeah. he's developing basketball traits. And, you know, we were able to go to Houston last year and, you know, he started to play well. He's starting to see his maturity grow and his confidence grow. Um, and that speaks volumes, you know, and not just for myself, but, you know, for our program, for the people around him that's invested in him. Um, and I think that's for everybody. Like, Ryan has been spoiled in the sense that he's been able to be around professional athletes all his life. So his approach to the game and his approach to working out, I think is different than other kids due to the fact that he's been surrounded and been able to see what it looks like. So and I think that's, yeah, you can't, you can't get that away. Like whether that was when he was young, young, seeing, like I said, the Bear Miles, the G. Roy's, you know, those guys like that. And then even to this new era now, you know what I'm saying? And he's been able to be spoiled by the fact that he's been surrounded by greatness or surrounded by guys that took their job serious and took their craft serious. So now he does that now. And I don't have to beg him about working out. I don't have to beg him about going. He'll just ask me, you know, are we going to the track? Are we going to this? Or, you know, he was asking that the night before. And that's really about it. But to see how he's approaching it and attacking it, his body's developing now. Now he thinks he's something. He thinks he looks good. He thinks he's cute. He's been I a model. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell him all the time, he's one of the ugliest kids in the world. But, you know what I'm saying, that's just what I'm going to stick to. Even though everybody says he looks like me, which he does. But I tell him I'm actually cute. He looks better ugly. than you. No, he's ugly, though. I tell him all the time. You know what, people think I'm cute, though, but you're actually kind of ugly. So, you know, I tell him you got about two more years before you get cute. But no, honestly, man, I'm just proud of him, man. You know, I'm proud of his pro I'm, pr I'm proud of the process. And I'm just waiting to see what comes out of it, man. But, you know, I, I love it. I love the game of basketball. 
like I said, it's, it's a love of mine. And to, to be able to help out kids and give them a chance to be successful, because we do have a lot of kids that maybe, you know what I'm saying, aren't as fortunate uh, that we look out for and take care of. I mean, that's what's most important to me besides just winning games. What was your favorite sport growing up? Football was it first, but the fact that I could hoop, I mean, I, I loved hoop. Smiley like, said you couldn't hoop like that, though. Man, Gerald can lose his mind. <laughs> Smiley said you was all right, but you yeah. you wasn't like that. Yeah, here he go, man. Gerald was, Gerald was good, though. Gerald was good. Obviously, baseball was his thing. Was he always a little chubbier kid growing up? No, he was skinny as I don't know what. But he tried. But did he tell you about when he tried to play football? No. Oh, he was hella weak. <laughs> oh, oh man, he was like our. Well, at one year I was, he was like either the second or he's like second or third street quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> but you gotta think, little league, them dudes don't really play that much. You know what I'm saying? So he was out there just running around, just. It's just a kid in the yard. I'm like, hey, bro, I don't know if you're going to get your pants dirty today, but, <laughs> hey, hey, it's real. But my thing is, it got to the point where he would leave football games and go play baseball because he, <laughs> he was a man there. <laughs> he knew he was a man there, so he was like, man, shoot, man, forget this game, and I got a baseball game at two. I was like, oh, okay, you leaving at halftime? Yeah, I'm up out of here. I'll see you at basketball practice then or something this week. I guess it worked out for him. He went to the pro. Oh, man. No, that's funny. But Jika Hoop, man. Jika Hoop, man, always, like, he was skinnier, long arms. But Jika Hoop, man, football wasn't his thing. But between hooping and baseball, man, Jika get down, though. But, I mean, I love I mean, I love basketball. I still watch all the way, to, you know, all the time. Still try to go to games, you know, even if we got to drive down to Portland or whatever. Um, but, you know what I'm saying, football still always going to be that number one passion. Yeah. See, I'm a basketball guy first. Mm. But – I love basketball. And but, but so there's some people that thought I was better in basketball than I was in football. Wait, say that again. Some people thought I was better in basketball and football in high school. Like, I was cold with it. Hey, listen. I ain't listen. had no jumper, though. Listen, your mom doesn't count. Oh, I'm not talking about my mom. <laughs> oh, listen, family members don't count. They, they're supposed to gas you up. Dude, I got long arms. And, and at 190, I was oh, shutting. 190? I was shutting. When's the last time you've been under 190? <laughs> this is college. You you were not 190 in college. Yeah, I was. I was 197 my rookie year in the CFL. Matter of oh. fact, when you came here, I was 204. Listen, you were 226. No, 204. <laughs> no. Little Lou. <laughs> no way. 2005, no. your rookie year, I was, two, I was 204 pounds. Listen, well, who thought you was good at who? At 5'6"? 5'10 and 1'8". <laughs> I want all that 1'8", too. I'm taller than you. Ain't no way. Ain't RP. No RP, way. you think you taller than me? Absolutely. By all that one day. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Nah, man. Now, I used funny. to I used to rip everybody. You can't cross me over. I got long arms. I can play off. Still get a hand in the face. I'm a slasher. I've been able to dunk since I was five, six in the tenth grade. I had a 43-inch vertical coming out of college. Mm-mm. Come on, RP. You know what I'm saying? I was a super athlete, man. I, I'm not doubting that. Like I said, I didn't see you jump over people, so I ain't doubting that. <laughs> I ain't doubting that at all. I remember one time you tried to jump over me. Luckily, I just didn't run up fast enough because I seen you lining me up. <laughs> I'll never forget it. I promise you. 
It was at BC Place too. I seen it too. Like you took a minor stutter step, and I seen you chop. I said, I'm not doing this. <laughs> hey, hey, you got ready to jump, and then when you see that they run up on me, you kind of stopped yourself, and I just kind of just caught you in the air, and then we just tackled you. But I think honestly, at that moment, we both were laughing on the ground because we both knew what happened. I promise, I remember like it was yesterday because I was like, "Hey, man, he's not about to do this." And I see you take a minor stutter. I said, "Oh, hell no!" I just stopped. I was like, Mm-mm, "I'm not gonna be on TSN tonight <laughs> like this." Hell no. Hey, that was a mess. But I think the week before you heard it over somebody. I think it was somebody at Edmonton. Who was that? I don't know. So many. So many to to remember all of them. Yeah, that's nuts, man. That's nuts. So now I believe you about the I believe you about the jumping. I ain't gonna never doubt that. No, I used to I, I just got kicked out of the uh I got a two year suspension from the thirty five and up league here in SAS. I got kicked out of three games this year. I probably, I probably wouldn't tell nobody else that. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I don't know if that's something to brag about or talk about, but <laughs> I would leave that part out if I, if I could. Didn't I they mean, ask me to come out, will you come play for our flag football team? I said, nope. <laughs> I, would <not. laughs> I, would I wouldn't recommend that. Hey, but you know who would be out there if they did ask them? Okay, speaking of that, would you coach <laughs> his flag football team? What I what? Would you coach his flag football team in a tournament? Who his? Stokes. No. <laughs> no. He said, RP, we need a coach. Absolutely not. You wouldn't I'm coach not, RP? I'm not being part of that. At all. First of all, I don't even like the way Stokes be jogging. <laughs> <laughs> At all. Like, hey, hey, this is the funniest thing, though. The thing about it is, there was one practice I was laughing when we was running with the team, and he put some cleats on. <laughs> we were running, and he was running, but he was, like, in the back, and he was gassed. I'm talking, he was gassed, man. And he was like, the thing that made it funny is when we went back into the locker room after practice, he was like, shoot, man, shoot. Shoot, me, shoot, me and our people was out there getting it today. I said, uh-uh, don't you put me in that. <laughs> My stuff wasn't looking like yours. Don't you don't you put me in that category. That man was playing soccer, flag football. Bro. He had a whole different life. Bro, hey, when I say that he was a true all-purpose, and he – Hey, look, it's one thing to be all purpose in the CFL, but he's true all purpose, like as a human being. <laughs> and I can't. <laughs> he said he's an all purpose human being. He's a utility he's all- knife. Hey, listen, first, then he, then when he had the bike that didn't really work and he, he was riding. To- <laughs> when the chain fell off when he was going down the hill. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> this dude is a jack of all trades. I'm like, what are you doing? Hey, that dude, man, I'm telling you, he is one of a kind, man. I kid you not. That's the best way I can describe him. He yeah. is all perfect. He is the truth. But you and, you and Chris used to wear y'all's um, cleats every practice. Absolutely. I don't understand I, it. Like, they were, like, I couldn't do it. Bro, my back would be hurting out there. So that's why you wear cleats? Because you're used yeah. to being in cleats? Yeah, like it would be easy on my back. But even then, though, I wanted to get out of that fat stage because that fat stage that we was on in that first beginning, the way that we was eating, that did not help me at all. Oh, I hated how much churches and all kind of just garbage <laughs> we was eating. Man. That was, listen, man, I ain't never been that heavy in my life. I kid you not. And then I knew something was wrong when I got out that shower. And I was like, listen, you got to <laughs> stop looking like this. <laughs> you have to stop looking like this. You can't go home like this. It was disgusting, man. Oh, my gosh. Then when the lady started knowing me, then my thing is, when I would go pick it up, the lady knew me by name. I knew right then and there, I got to get the hell out of here. 
I got to get the hell out of here. She was like, oh, hey, Ryan, you can't pick it up. I'm like, wait, wait, what? But it's hard. You don't have a lot of time to really, unless you made your own food at home or took leftovers in. Mm -hmm. um, Or be like, yeah, or be like, Stu. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And how many diets does Stu go on, man? (laughs) Stu has tried every diet in the book. Oh my gosh, man. And we'll tell you how every one of them don't work. I'm like, well, Stu, stop trying all of them then. It don't nothing work. You hey, stop drinking too. Hey, but did you hey, hey you remember that uh you remember <laughs> remember that uh what was that that he want that he made up with all them ingredients he told me to drink and it would clean me out? Man, listen, that boy had the most craziest stuff in there, cayenne, pepper, all kinds of stuff. I said, Stu, who can drink that? Like no one can drink. He said, you just gotta go up it down. He said, you just got to go. I said, Stuby, you lost your damn mind. Is I'll have a heart attack. Is that right the now. cayenne, the, the lemon juice, Oh, the honey, and something else? Bro, it was out of control. He lost his mind. I said, Stube, I'm not doing that. Ain't no way. Stube is one. Yeah, now, yeah he's one of a kind, man. That Stube dude. was vegan like the first like three months, and then Bro, he wasn't even during, vegan no more. But this is my thing. He was vegan all during camp. <laughs> but would have the biggest thing of ice cream and all kind of stuff going through camp. And I'm like, well, that dairy and all that stuff, dude, that don't make sense right now. Like, what you're doing? He's like, oh, RP, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't understand. And he would be mad. He would go over there and walk over there. Oh, RP, man, I'm out of here. They don't even have the ice cream today. I said, oh, shit. <laughs> Stube is nuts, man. That, Oh my gosh, man. Stu's one of my favorite though, man. I will say that he's one of my favorite because he <laughs> he gonna tell you he gonna tell you how he feels. He's gonna shoot it the way it is. And that's just that's him, man, all the way. I wish so, we had cameras in that office last year. With Stu <laughs> and with Jarius. Hey man. Them, them yelling from room to room. <laughs> oh my gosh, man. Them dudes are so funny. <laughs> Hey, that was some funny. T- hey, there were some funny times. That's that's for the memory books. I tell you that. That's for the memory books. That's for a book. That is for no. That's for yeah. a movie. I that don't think for- they gonna get it in the book. Uh uh-uh. uh. Who would play? I guess Lorenz Tate playing you. Because <laughs> no, <he> <laughs> you played Lorenz Tate in real life. And uh, <laughs> oh who, who gonna play Chris? Uh, the guy of How to Be a Player, Pierre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he gotta go ball. <laughs> Man, we when you got to high school, how many sports do you play? Was it just uh football or do you, you run track too or what'd you do? Yeah, I did all three. Basketball, football, and track? Mm-hmm. How many years are you on varsity in all three? Only my freshman, only, only my freshman year of uh, basketball wasn't on varsity. Well, I, well, I swung, so I, I played JV and I played varsity my freshman year. And then after that, it was all varsity. But I was I was varsity from freshman year at uh, at football and varsity freshman year at track. Okay, what'd you run in track? The hundred and two hundred, the four by one. How did you get to Eastern Washington? You made a you made a stop at junior college. You know what? Eastern Washington wasn't even supposed to happen. Mount San Antonio College. In Walnut, California. I went to Mount Sac. I went to Mount Sac. Then after my sophomore year, I had 18 D1 offers. I signed to Texas Tech. So I signed to Texas Tech uh, at that time. 
uh, Dave Brown, which was uh, the Seahawks. Uh, he's in Seahawks Hall of Fame, play corner. He's like in the top 10 interceptions all the time. He was the DB coach. But he's originally from Seattle. I mean, since he was uh, playing for Seattle, I played against his son in high school. And me and his son Sterling are the same age. So he came up and recruited me. And then um, he was the DB coach. And then I signed to Texas Tech. And, you know what I'm saying, being in the hothead and not doing what I was supposed to do, didn't finish or whatever at that time. I was, excuse me, I didn't finish on time because Texas Tech was on semesters. So since I finished my math, my math class late, I had to go somewhere on quarters. And Eastern was the only, like, one of the only spots left that would actually have scholarship for me to come. Um, UW tried to get me to come. University of Washington tried to get me to come. Um, those guys tried to get me to come because they're on quarter systems, but they didn't have no money available. And I wasn't going to have, you know, I wasn't going to take out no loans. I, I didn't believe in, you know, so having my mom pay for nothing as well. And then literally before that, um, about four months before that, my sister passed away. So it was a trying time. It was a trying time yeah. for the family anyway at that time. So it was actually a, a blessing in disguise. Like, you know, instead of me being in Lubbock, Texas, you know, I had opportunity to go to Eastern, be closer to the closer to home. It was a good, you know what I'm saying, foundation and support system for my mom at that time. Um, you know what I'm saying, you know, with everything going on. You know, obviously she had to take in my nieces and so forth at that time too. So for me to be close to home, for them to come out and be able to see me or even be, for me to even, uh, get home, it actually, you know, was a blessing in disguise. So, you know, was it a mess up? For sure. You know, should I have been a Red Raider and all that? Yes, I should have. But I think the way everything worked out, it worked out to its benefit. And I was able to be there, you know, so obviously for my mom, for my mom in, a di in a different capacity, which was way more important, um, you know, saying in that aspect of things. There's a lot of great... A lot of great athletes come out of Eastern Washington. Yeah, we run the CFL. Yeah, Bo Levi, Matt Nichols, Mike Riley went there too, didn't he? Nah, nah, no, nah. No, not Mike. Uh, no, Mike, the coach, Coach Mike, I think, somewhere. Yeah. But um, who else? Who's the other quarterback? It's Bo, Matt Nichols. Matt. Oh, Vernon. Vernon Adams. Mm -hmm. um, J.C. Sherritt. Mm -hmm. Yourself. Even even back in the day, guys, like, man, who else do you remember? You remember Lamont Brifle? Yep. Lamont. You remember Luke Fritz? Yeah. Yeah, Luke. Uh, oh, uh, Romero. Romero Dario? Yep. Dario Romero went there? Yep. Dario's from Eastern. Mm. Um, I used to like him at D-Tackle, man. That dude, was, that dude was an animal. Yeah, he was dirty. Oh, when, he, when, he was in, when he was in Montreal, I thought he was a little bit more skilled. But mm -hmm. then when he was in Edmonton, he was still Edmonton. a dog. He was a dog. Yeah. Outrageous. Stuff. And he would he would look at you and start laughing and you know what I'm saying? He just like, he's like, what up, Lou? You know, he'd be tired walking back. You got that little waddle. <laughs> that was my boy, man. He would tell me all the time before the game to RP, I'm gonna get somebody today. I'd be like, hey man. <laughs> Hey man, just don't man, just don't don't be doing too much, man. Oh no, I'm gonna get somebody today. He would just giggle and walk off. I'm like, man, there's something really wrong with that guy, man. <laughs> like for real. But he was cool though, man. But now we've had a lot of guys, man. I, I think, I mean, obviously we got guys now like TJ Lee, so forth, and guys that are you know perennial all stars, um, like Bo and some other guys. But I just think um, Eastern is a place where a small um, opportunity is great due to the fact of the guys that obviously came before, but also to the same extent like. I think guys go there with a mentality of just capturing their moment and opportunity. Yeah. Um, Eastern is, like I said, in the middle of nowhere, so you kind of got to have that mindset anyway. You can get lost out there. Just but you think that. about it like Washington, Eastern Washington, Wyoming, mm -hmm. Montana, mm -hmm. like all these places, University of North Dakota. 
Like yeah. these northern states have like some places in there that got really good football. Yeah. But and the thing that's crazy about all those, like I said, they're in little small, just like college towns. Yeah. You know yeah. What I'm all you can really do. And I think that's what, you know, kind of promotes them being the way that they are. Like, you know, at Cheney, you can't really do anything else to that extent. You know, the closest thing you got is Spokane, which is fine. But even then, though, like you're in Cheney. So there's nothing else but one elementary school, Eastern. That's really what you got. Like, you know, that's just what it is. Even, I mean, you got Cheney High School, but Cheney High School is like single A. So they're like maybe 400 people, you know what I'm saying? And that's about it. So um, you have no choice but to focus and you're going to get in what you get out. Um, instead of being in a city school like University of Washington or, you know, some of these other bigger schools like that, you can get lost just in city life. And if you don't make it, you just don't make it. So yeah. I, I feel like Eastern prepares you for what you want to do long term as far as in a focus standpoint. Um, it enables you now to, you know, put an emphasis on what you're trying to capture. And now you got to let that carry on into your professional life. So I'm not surprised by some of the guys that we've had be successful. The one thing I will say is I think Eastern might be one of the rare schools in the sense of where in the CFL level, most of the guys that actually came out of Eastern, I think all have played six plus years. Yeah. Like they've all been like very key players on teams. Oh yeah. Like most of the guys have been starters. Yeah. Most of the guys play, you know, to that extent. So, you know, like I said, I, I, I feel like we have a good group, you know, and sometimes, you know, yeah, I laugh about when I say running the CFL, but I mean, for a period of time, like in my prime years, we had, I think, like the most starters in the CFL for like three, four years span. One thing I want to know, because you wasn't an ultra physical guy. You were a good tackler. Mm -hmm. Like you could tackle when you wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, you dive on piles and try to get that extra tackle. So I, I put that it. hand in there. That's where some of them went. That's but, the <laughs> but you you were a good tackler, but you wasn't really physical. Mm -hmm. How was it running back? Like how do you play running back? In college, you had 11 carries for 85 yards or something like that your senior year. But the thing that's funny about that is that happened because somebody got hurt. Was there like a speed sweep from the receiver or you actually lined up to took the hand? I'm lined up getting it. I'm lined up getting it. But you know what's funny about that, though? When I played offense, though, I had a different mentality. Like, if I showed you my high school film, you'd be like, that's not the same person. Because I was actually dipping my shoulder on people. But why didn't it, trans why didn't it translate? Why didn't it transition over? longevity someone once told me you keep doing that you're only gonna play four years i said i can't feed my family like that i played 14 yeah but you're not you, you're not making 600 tackles i broke 600 tackles <laughs> <laughs> hey man i'm just telling you man they told me you're not gonna play long like that because my thing is even my rookie year like my rookie year i came in there with that college mentality like, yeah. like, I remember Mark talked to me, like, he was like, yeah, man, your first two, three years, like, you were actually, like, hitting stuff or whatever, and then it started to slow down. I'm like, well, man, after I feel, you know, figure out that shit start hurting long term, you know, someone told me, hey, man, you might want to just start making, make sure you just get them down. I'm like, all right. But, I mean, like I said, it's one thing, like I said, to be hitting and banging like that. But like I said, at the end of the day, man, you got to do whatever it takes, um, you know what I'm saying, to make sure that you get guys down. And I even tell, I still preach that now, like, Everybody's not a banger. Everybody's yeah. not just another, but you got to be able to make tackles. It's just what it is. And yeah. if you can't get somebody down, you can't play football. And that's just the reality of it. Uh, you know, you don't have to be the most aggressive guys. Everybody's going to be Solomon and, you know, and, and, you know, those type of hitters. No. But can you be, you know what I'm saying, a steady linebacker that's going to make, you know what I'm saying, tackles? And can you be a steady, you know, corner that can come up and fit the run? Yeah, you need to be able to do that. And, you know, that's how this game is now. I mean, 
the size of the running back now is totally different when it was, you know, when we were playing, you know, like, you know, there's, you know, we had, you know, some scat backs like Charles Roberts and, you know, some of those other guys. Yeah. They was good as, they was good as hell. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, nowadays, man, now, you know, if you look even at the league and stuff, man, you got these Derrick Henrys and all those kind of guys walking around here today. There's nothing normal about that. Like there was one There was one Eddie George. After that, we was like, man, we ain't never seen nothing like that again. Man, now, I mean, there's so many of these dudes, man, so big and tall. Like, Alabama got about five of them. Like, it's just yeah. it's not real, you know what I'm saying, anymore. So, you got to have a different approach to even, one, how you tackle, and even, two, like I said, how you can now, you know what I'm saying, make sure that you survive the tackle. And it's just – it's a different element that we didn't have to deal with um, at this time. I mean, when we were playing, but now it's just – Man, it's just the, the size and the speed has just changed the game a lot, and it's changed your approach to the game. And I think it's something that's going to continuously evolve as long as, you know, the science and the equipment and all those things continue to change. Yeah. Dudes are still going to continue to get bigger and faster. And now at that point, it's going to start to change the dynamics of the game as far as from a defensive standpoint as well. I think they have to – the college football game and the, American, and the NFL game, I think they need to widen the field at least five to eight yards. That might be the case, right. to be honest. I think they need to widen it because there's too many sudden impacts mm-hmm. right now. Because people are bigger and they're stronger, they're faster, and you're either going downhill collision, mm-hmm. or you're throwing a slant route into a collision, or yeah. you're throwing a post route into a collision. There's very few places you can put the ball and not have a collision right now in the NFL. For sure. Um, and you look at college football. I think that would alleviate a lot of the people going with their head down. It's because it happens so quickly. It's like you know, guy turns around, sees a guy, he uh, automatic reaction is, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what just shows um, on those aspects of that. But I just think back to when I first started playing football, I played the whole game at running back, the first half at linebacker. Um, and then in co- uh, high school, I played receiver um, up until my senior year. Then I played quarterback. But my last two years, I played defensive end. Um, Wait, you were the quarterback and the defensive end? Yeah, I was all state defensive end, and I was offensive player of the year in, in the district and uh, quarterback. Wait a minute. So you were going from quarterback to defensive end. But were you lining a three point or a two point? Two point. Okay, because if you was in that three point, we was gonna have a problem. If I, uh, see- I got in a couple times. You were putting your hand in the dirt. Um, I did until I got knocked out. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. Pulling, uh, pulling guard, tackle <laughs> disappeared. I seen a, lot, a running back. I was like, "Ooh, free money!" Mm. That guard came and just wiped me out. Mm. And I was like, "Yeah, I got to go from two point. And every time that tackle went down, I looked for that guard. It was just more of just being like, just trying to be a better athlete, jumping around yeah. people, uh, act like Jagger Davis on the field. Hey, he does it now? Just a super, just a super athlete out there." I seen him euro step and make a tackle on the backfield and running back. Like it's amazing what he does, um, the type of athlete he is. But the point of this is, everything that I played carried over into my mentality of how I played the receiver position. Mm. Nah, which makes sense. I mean, and I think you're 2006 or 2007 when you had the 65 tackles or 68 yeah. tackles. Mm-hmm. And then you had the 12 picks in 2007 too. So. And that's what I said. That was enough of that. <laughs> that's too many. That's too much. Too many times. <laughs> too much stuff going on. At that Unless you're chip. Yeah. Hey, but <clears throat> I need to look at what was chip. <laughs> chip got chip? like 800, 900 tackles. But like, what was his lowest tackle year? 
probably and I'm not end of this year. I'm talking about like in prime. What was his, his lowest tackle year had to be probably like, like 70. I was about to say, I was about to say like 70. Yeah. 75. 70, 80. Yeah. And he was playing halfback. Most of that. That's a lot of tackles. That's a lot of tackles. He had 100 tackles. He had 112 tackle season. Something like that. Oh, my gosh. Did you – when you were coming out of Eastern Washington, did you think you could go to the NFL? What was the situation, and, and how did you end up in BC? Um, yeah, I thought I could go to the NFL. Uh, what ended up happening was I pulled my hamstring before it was my pro day, and um, it was just through training. Uh, didn't really get to really run in my pro day. Still tried anyway, which was a bad decision. Um, didn't have an uh, agent that – well, I had an agent, but just not a good one at the time. So he still convinced me that, that you know, I should try to run. Ran slow. Um, even halfway pulled up during it, didn't perform well at the pro day. Then at that point, um, when I finally did get healthy, they had a free agent uh, workout in Portland, and I drove to that. Um, it was BC's workout. The funny thing is, from that workout alone, there was like four guys that actually ended up making the roster uh, my rookie year. So it was myself, Tony Simmons, mm-hmm. uh, who played for the Patriots. Receiver. Uh, yep. It was me, Tony, uh, another kid named TJ Acre went to Boise State. Receiver. That receiver and then Buck Pierce Ooh. and Buck. So we were all in Portland together, which was funny. But I finally got healthy, was able to run and so forth. And after I ran and we did one on ones and everything, Wally and those guys wanted to sign me right then on the spot. Um, I waited a day and then they called back again because I was getting ready for training camp because uh, it was actually the last fridge camp of their uh, of all their road trips. And training camp was actually starting, I think, two weeks after that. So it kind of forced me into a decision. I wanted to wait out a little bit, but then I did it. And then the funny thing was actually two days after I signed, San Francisco actually called my agent at that time to try to bring me into camp. Mm. But, I mean, at that point, I mean, it just was what it was. The writing was on the wall. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I said, going to BC, playing under Wally, playing with the teammates I had, I mean, I wouldn't have changed it. Um, even after, you know, having a 12-pick season and stuff like that, you always think that maybe you should have took a shot, maybe you should have left. Uh, at that time, I had, you know, I had a little RP. So, you know, for me, the stability was way more important. Um, I was just thinking with a different mindset at that time. Um, you know, when you think back now, maybe you think that maybe you should have took the chances to see. I mean, you, but you know, you could have played there for sure. You know, like, you could have balled out there. No, for sure. And I and the thing about it is, though, it's not even about myself thinking about it because I do believe that anyway. But when every guy comes up that did play, you know, you start seeing the guys that come up, you know they play four or five years and you start looking at them like <laughs> how in the hell did you play four or five? <laughs> like, I'm just being, just being honest. So like, so true. And, and I mean, from both positions though, I mean, from the receiver spot, even from the DB spot, there's guys that we brunk in and I'm like, man, this dude got five years in and played 20 some, 30 some games. Like that's crazy. Then I look at this receiver. I'm like, man, this dude got four or five years in, you know, got like, you know, 112 career catches and so forth. I'm like, how in the hell did this, it's just not adding up for me. But those same guys also give you respect and say, man, hey, where was you at before this? And when you tell them you weren't nowhere, they don't believe you. They be like, no, nah, like, yeah. what happened? And I used to be like, no, I literally came here. They be like, so you're not going? They're like, no. They be like, well, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, you're better than X, Y, and Z. And, you know, you remind me of this person, this person, or that person. I was in camp with him and this, that, and other. So, I mean, the recognition of it was great. It just sucks not being able to live it. But yeah. even then, I don't discredit myself at all. Like I had a, a great career, played with a great, you know, great teammates, won a lot of games and my memories are, you know, endless. And that's what it's about, you know, cause that's what you have to hold on to at the end. 
And honestly, if I did go down there, who knows what would have happened to me or what, who knows what my career would have been like. So everything took place where it was supposed to, and I'm happy with it. And my family had a chance to be up there with my whole career and, and my whole experience. So that's more priceless than anything else the NFL could offer. me. Speaking of your teammates, backfield, Byron Parker, yourself, you had Corey Banks and Dante Marsh, Cord Parks, Josh Bell. I won't name none of the Sams because I used to do all them in, but. You got to stop being like this, man. You, you, have, you have to stop this. Reddick. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> hey, man, that's nuts, man. That is nuts. But we have B-Miles. B-Miles. So you have all these great teammates mm. and just in BC. Can you just talk about just being in the room with so many guys that played the game mentally, that just played, I mean, you know, physically talented, but mental players and how they approach the game and, and be, being one of those guys and how y'all all played so well together? Well, one, every day was chaos because the reality of it is, even though we were a lot of great players, a great mindset and approach to the game, every person you named was a totally different personality. Yeah. And I mean, all the way, like Dante got that nose pierce at 33. And I was like, no, sir, <laughs> not get your nose pierce at 33, Mr. Marsh. <laughs> like I said, we all had different personalities. That's the best way I can put it. But Marsh was his own guy. Banks was definitely his own guy. All the way to a T. Like, there's really no other way of putting it. You just like, I even think even then, like, Banks displayed himself on, on film and on TV enough for people to get a thought of how he was. But to actually interact with him for real is a whole nother level. Like he is a different, he's a different individual. But my thing is also the same as it. Just like you said, the way that he approached and his personality was him though. Like yeah. that's how he approached the game as well. It wasn't no, oh yeah, this is me being somebody else or me being fake. The same personality, the same craziness, that's who he was on the field as well. Like, that was him. Um, but I think it honestly made us who we, who we were. Um, I think as a unit, uh, it's kind of hard to say what our, what our, what our best unit was. I haven't got asked that before. But the fact of the matter is we had different personalities that all respected what each other brought to the table in its own element. Um, yeah. You know, me and Banks might be competing in one area where – him and, him and Marsh might be competing in another, where me and B-Miles might be competing in another. But it wasn't necessarily anything of jealousy and things like that. It was more so in the fact that I know if you're doing this, then if, and I'm pushing myself to do this, I know collectively we might end up with 40-some interceptions, and, you know, we're going to be number one in the league in 16 categories. You know, it's just yeah. like that. But you have that type of standard that's being set week in and week out. So it's like, okay, who's out doing who this week? You know, or who's going to be, you know – who's going to be the player of the week this week or who's, you know, going to be this, that, and the other. Like that's the kind of ownership that you had when walking in the locker room, because you knew if you stuck out on film, them guys was going to clown you. That's just yeah. being honest. Like you was going to get clowned and you didn't want to be that guy. And you respected your peers more than where honestly to me in this day and age now, like that, that part gets missed a little bit. Like guys starting to care less about other guys' opinions and care less about what their teammates think sometime. And that carries over onto the field. You know, I think once you care more about what your, you know, your, your, your colleagues and, you know, say your teammates think, you know, and how they perceive you, I think now you start playing with a more, 
greater effort. You start now being more attentive to detail. You approach the game a little bit different with a, yeah. with a more fear. And I think that's starting to be missed now compared to what it was back in, you know what I'm saying, in our days of playing. So, yeah, we were we were a different group. Um, were we rare? For sure. Do I think that, you know, there be anything like it? No, because I don't think there'll ever be a team that, you know, will have a group of guys that have probably 200, 300 some interceptions collectively on one unit. Like, yeah. I don't. I don't think that'll ever be seen again because to even get a group to stay together that long is not even realistic anymore anyway. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we were different in our own right, but I feel like that's what made us great. Um, I, 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 those guys helped mold who I was. Um, and those guys helped me even be the coach that I am now due to the fact that, you know, when you have to manage those type of personalities, you feel like you can manage a room. And they all came from different backgrounds or different dynamics of life. And we all made it collective as one. And it showed up on the field and made us successful. You talk about the difference of back then to now. Like 2008, I mean, I stayed around Calgary two weeks, you know, 17 days after we won the Great Cup in 08. 14, there was guys like uh, – my flight's booked for Wednesday after the Great Cup. I'm like, no. Wednesday? Absolutely. Like, dude, what did you come here for? Mm -hmm. You come here to make some money or did you come – like, you don't make enough money to come here just to make money. At all. Like, we came here to win this cup and then go celebrate it. Absolutely. And they're, Absolutely. And they're sitting there talking about, oh, well, um, yeah, my flight's booked for Tuesday. My flight mm -hmm. booked for Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Dude's trying to fly out from <laughs> B.C. to go home. Like, mm -mm. I, I told, I'd rather not even have those guys in the locker room. That's just being honest. Like, I know guys that was like that, that had booked their stuff a week in advance. Oh, man, if I get out of here on a red eye, I'm getting out of here. And I'm just like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, you don't enjoy what you work so hard for. Absolutely not. It's impossible to. Like, you're not even creating any memories at that point. So if you was to ask that guy to give you 10 memories that they will remember and, you know, love and cherish, it's going to be thin. Because yeah. they weren't, you know, said in tuned into actually sharing nothing, you know what I'm saying, with their teammates and things like that. And that's what makes it what it is. Like if you if we want to talk about experiences and things like that, there's gonna be almost way more experiences that you had just hanging out compared to football moments. Like yeah. you got your football moments for sure. But for the most guys that don't, you know, let's be honest, the average guy doesn't get to play as long as we do. So yeah. their their memories or their football moments are gonna be so much. But the time that you spend with the, you know, with the homies after practice and the time that you spend with the homies, you know what I'm saying, on the road and, you know, say just the jokes and love and, you know what I'm saying, from that standpoint, that's going to outweigh and outnumber how many football moments you probably actually created. And that's what's going to stick for long term. So the relationships that you build, you know what I'm saying, throughout that course of time, you can't put a, a value on that because those things are priceless. You know, longstanding friendships and longstanding relationships that you gain throughout football are forever and yeah. football moments are what they are and you live them up and they're great. But the friends that you actually create, create in the relationships that you built are going to outweigh those football moments every day of the week. Well, you left us in Montreal. Oh, I did that. We had a great group. We did. Like it was so sad that how it all happened mm -hmm. and how all of us together like if you and people are like, oh, well, it's the back end of your career. Like, no, we were actually still effective. And we had enough young talent to really be good. Yeah. I I just, you know. What would you take on Montreal? On what aspect of it? 
just how everything was, you know, leaving BC, being in that structure for, cause you were just like me. I was in Calgary 11 years. Mm-hmm. You were in BC 12 years. And then yep. you go to Montreal. Yep. I was in Calgary 11 years and I go to Montreal. So I was in a, this, this one stable environment. And then I go to BC or go to uh, Montreal. And it's totally different. Totally is the best word to use. The players were great. Yes. That's, that's not, that's not the part I'm knocking at yeah. all. I, it's, I don't think it was a, a thing about players not wanting to win. I don't think it was a players. I don't think it was a thing about players not being in tune. Um, do I think the players were always in the position of being successful? I don't. Do I think that the players always got the best hand um, dealt so that way they could be successful? I don't. Um, do I think that, you know, from a structure standpoint and from a honesty standpoint, you know, where people are being just upfront and honest with you, I don't think that was always the thing that was taking place. And I think those things start to now play a factor. Um, yeah. You know, it starts playing a factor in guys' psyche, how they approach, uh, not necessarily the game, but even how they look at the organization or even how they look at, you know, the things that are taking place within the structure that they're actually in. You know, it's hard to respect all the models of it when, you know, say you feel like you're being deceived or you feel like you're just being, you know, saying kind of, you know, joked around with from that standpoint. Um, that's one aspect that I just couldn't respect especially when you're coming from a model of BC where with Wally, you knew what you were getting. Yep. Same with Huff. It's going to be black and white. I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm going to tell you what it's not. I'm only going to tell you so many times. And at that point, you go, no one is your last in. Yep. Where, you know, it's one person on this page, one person on this page, another person telling you this, oh, I'm not really for sure about this. And it's another where you're getting that in Montreal and that's not what you came from. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, you know, Montreal for me, was it an experience? Yeah, because it's an experience in this in the stint where it was different than anything else I ever had to encounter as a professional athlete. So I will say that. Was it a bad experience? Yes, due to the fact that, you know, all the elements that I just described um, that I think were to somewhat uncalled for, you know what I'm saying, to that extent. Like, you don't go from, I put like this in perspective, you don't go from playing your old former team, having six, having six tackles, three pass breakups, so forth, whatever else, having the best percentage overall rating on the defense that week. And then all of a sudden now that next week, they decide to sit you down. And then that next week, now they're talking about releasing you. The same thing with Don the number. This doesn't make any sense. So my thing is at that point, you got to evaluate for the, for what it is. Is it personal? Is it about playing? Is it about someone being threatened? Is Egos. Those things play a factor. And I'm not, like I said, one thing I'm always going to do is, I'm going to be honest. I don't have to say no names, but I'm going to be honest. I will. No, I'm just playing. (laughs) (laughs) Egos were definitely coming into factor. People felt threatened by, you know what I'm saying, certain people in the room. And some people felt like they need to do whatever it took to get certain people out of the room because they weren't necessarily what they wanted them to be from a personality standpoint. They wanted you to be a robot. That's what it boiled down to. And I can't help if, People in the room respected me for what it was, and they want to come to me and ask questions instead of asking you. And they didn't want to ask, you know, you or this, that, and other due to the fact of your approach and how you now receive them is different and it's not respectable from a man's standpoint. Yeah. And I can't do anything about that. So I guess, you know, when you don't want that many fish in the sea, you got to get rid of them. And he threw some dynamite in and <laughs> here I was, I was back at home. So, I mean, it is, it is what it is. But you know what? At the end of the day, I take it for what it's worth and it just lets me know you know, sometimes you got to take a learning experience to find out what you don't want to be like. Yeah. And, and, that's, and what, that's what my wife was saying is like, 
at least you know now what you don't want to coach like or what you don't want to be like, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. that's one of the biggest things is like, and it sucks because there, there's some really great fans there. And yeah. you can't just come out and say, well, you know, it's a, you know, it's a crazy situation every day that you go into work. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's, you know, what kind of circus it's going to be. But, you know, you show us some clowns, I'll show you a circus. And, yeah. and that's one of the biggest things that I hated because, you know, when I just look at the talent of Brandon Rutley, Tyrell Sutton, John Bowman, uh, myself, S.J. Green, you, Javon Johnson, uh-huh. uh, Chip Cox. Like, we, we had many, like, you, you, and even the younger guys with B.J. and E.J., Mincy. You know what I'm saying? Mincy. Um, so we can go on and on with a lot of great players. Cato. Like, I thought Cato was a very talented guy. You throw Duran in there, who's a talented guy. Um, Kenny Stafford. Like, there's so many athletes on one team that we should be able to just show up and be competitive. Mm-hmm. And over times we weren't even competitive. For sure. Which didn't make any sense. Like, Make just no think sense. about even this past year. Like, we're talking about even a three-year, four-year younger Kenny Stafford. Well, the first five, six games of the season this past year, he was first, second in the league. Yeah. And destroying people. Like, and I'm just being honest, though. You know, and he was destroying people. And some people thought he was on his last leg or he was, you know, weeding himself out. Well, he comes out and he has, like, 600 yards in the first, like, four or five games of the season. Yeah, and he's, he's looking smart. great, too. Looking great, running, you know what I'm saying, running with speed, running, you know what I'm saying, and and still breaking off and, you know what I'm saying, breaking people down. And, you know what I'm saying, I was actually happy to see him do it because yeah. for a, a veteran or, you know, older veteran like ourselves that was able to play that length of time, you want to see guys continuously get it, you know what I'm saying, when they have the opportunity. And he might have got the short, you know, short end of the stick, you know, when it came to long term throughout that course of the season. But to see him actually have an opportunity to get it, and now he was getting it the way it was, there's no doubt in my mind that, you know what I'm saying, if he would have stayed there throughout the course of the season, he would have been a 12, 13 yard, you know, 1300 yard guy, you know, just yeah. based off being healthy and the way that they were running their system. Like, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, he would have been, you know, uh, all star. We wouldn't be talking about the fact that he got, you know, let, you know, traded over here and so forth or whatever. All because so, of money. All because of circumstances. Because they signed, they signed all those guys. They yep. signed Larry Dean, Don Yanamba, mm-hmm. uh, my cousin, Sir Vincent Rogers, mm-hmm. Trevor Harris. You get all these big name guys, Anthony Orange, and you get them, and you think the cap's going up, and the cap doesn't go up. So now you're spending the whole season trying to cut calorie set, uh, salary cap or trade guys. Mm-hmm. All right, and then he gets traded to SAS and and just kind of rocks on the behind shelf. everybody, right? Rocks on the shelf. And my thing is, even then, it's like yeah, you go to SAS, but even for me at that time, it's like yeah, you go to SAS. Do I believe he was – if someone was to ask me right now, do I think he was one of the top six best receivers on the team? For yes, sure. 100%. No doubt about it. Like, you're not just finding a 600-yard receiver in four or five games on any team. No. Like, that's just not happening. Like, we've been around the game for a long time, and I'm not going to discredit anybody, but I am going to give credit when credit is due. But I think that's why they let go of Naaman this year, mm-hmm. just to give Kenny the opportunity to be there. And that's what I hope, you know what I'm saying? That's what you hope for because he deserved that based off – I mean, we're talking about based on performance, which a lot of teams say that that's what we do. 
you know, we got to base it off of how you're playing. Uh, you know, you're only as good as your last. Well, his last was pretty damn good. Yeah. What we saw, you know what I'm saying? Now, you know, hopefully maybe this layoff time that he did have, maybe that, you know, helps him out, you know what I'm saying, as far as like, you know, getting his body all the way right and things like that. Bring that booty down a little bit. But yeah, so. <laughs> so even he with got that waddle too. He do, he do, for sure. But, you know, say, like I said, with that being said, I just hope that, you know, he gets his opportunity because, you know, it's one thing to leave the game based off of, you know, you leaving, not necessarily on terms, but really just based off of performance. You know, I wasn't playing up to par, you know, so yeah. I understand I was on my last leg and things like that. You know, like I even had somebody tell me that was like, yeah, you know, which was funny. So, you know, they've been doing this all decade thing. I listened to one interview, one interview only during this whole thing. Sanchez is on there talking. And Sanchez is talking about like how it should, you know, be this guy, this guy, and this guy DB wise. So there's other guys on there and all the other guys basically was talking about, you know, how I should be on there maybe and so forth. And Sanchez was like, well, you know, if this was 2000 to 2010, no brainer, but 2010 to 2020, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, people are saying that maybe, you know, in that last year was towards the back end of his career. And, you know, so I, it was funny to me because if we really break it down, and I was telling by let the guy, you know, said performance speak. Well, I had more interceptions in 2000, from 2010 to 2020 than I did in 2000 to 2010. Like, it was 25, like, I only had 22, you know what I'm saying, in, in that time, at 25 on the other end. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, that didn't even make any sense. Like, my second to last year, I led the league in, in picks, and, I, and that was the first time I ever missed any games in my career. Like, people I like played, to just talk, though. Right. And that's what I tell him. I'm like, I played 15 games and still led the league. You know what I'm saying? So I just be like, you know, some people don't always look at the facts, you know, say so they look at just whatever they want their perspective to be, yeah. how to justify their own perspective. But my thing is let the proof in the pudding talk, like let the film speak at that point. You know what I'm saying? If that guy's performing, he's playing at a high level and there's no reason to get rid of him. You know what I'm saying? From that standpoint, I understand finances happen, but at the end of the day, if it's able to work out and he's a valuable guy in the locker room, man, that, that guy deserves, he's already earned his right to be there. And that's yeah. just that's what it is. And like I said, in that situation, you know what I'm saying, for Kenny, it was unfortunate because, like I said, he was balling. And I seen, you know what I'm saying, the way he was balling and, uh, and uh, speed, the speed that he was playing with at that age. And age had nothing to do with it. Like I said, you just want to see guys like that be successful and have the opportunity to finish their career the way that they should. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. Dude, man, I appreciate you coming through, man. This, is, this has been awesome. I've laughed my ass off so much <laughs> during this. And – you know, one of the biggest things is for any young DBs, what would you, what would be your advice or any young players? What would you be advice for them from a coach aspect and from an ex-players aspect? Um, approach the game, honestly, approach the game, honestly, with integrity. Um, you only get so many times to play football. You only get so many times to be a uh, a professional athlete. You got to think you've already beat the odds. The odds are already against you. So why settle yourself short? Your body's not going to last the same. There's things that are going to start to, you know what I'm saying, diminish, you know what I'm saying, whether you like it or not. But one thing that can always evolve is your mind and your mindset. And the way that you approach the game can always be the same, whether it's through a work ethic standpoint, through a studying standpoint, from, you know what I'm saying, you trying to be the best leader, the best teammate that you could be, whether if you're molding a guy, whether, or whether if you have to be the man, Regardless of the fact, though, those things don't have to change. Effort doesn't have to change. Effort yeah. is a choice. You know what I'm saying? So with that being said, how you now approach the game based on your effort and your mindset and how you now evolve from your IQ standpoint, that's going to make you that much more of a greater player. 
I feel like this. If I'm a coach and those things don't diminish, even if your talent goes down a little bit, if I still feel like that you can do certain things mentally, I'm more willing to keep you than the guy that can go run for two and can't play football and doesn't understand angles and can't read a playbook. I mean, that's just the reality of it. So I'm not saying, you know, you have to be just the smartest guy in the room, but you got to be able to hold your own in the sense where now when we start looking about longevity, those things now are valued assets that maybe some other guys don't have. You've got to have intangibles. And all the guys that I've known that has played the game at a high level that were great, they have certain intangibles about them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Whether it was mindset, whether it was, you know, if it was a skill set, you can't teach size, I get that. But outside of that, like, you know, there's guys that played at a high level. I mean, let's think about it. I mean, we got somebody that's five six with a thousand catches. Like <laughs> but that's a mindset. You know, say he approached the game like what it was. So, you know, if you can get someone five six with a thousand, I mean, at the end of the day, you gotta feel optimistic about your chances. I mean, that's just the truth of the matter. So, but no, that's serious though. Like I feel like, man, honestly, man, that really is a difference of the guys that I know that played a long time. And they had an approach to the game that was different than anybody else as far as how they approached it, what they wanted out of it, and their work ethic was just insurmountable. And that's just the truth. Yeah. Well, brother, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Uh, Ryan21BC on Instagram. Uh, Ryan underscore 21 um, on uh, Twitter. Um, like I said, I ain't hard to find. Like I said, I'm usually on Twitter more than anything. Um, so yeah, please hit me up. Uh, like I said, I ain't got nothing but time at the moment. So like I said, anything, anything I could do, you know, to help with is young, inspiring athletes and things like that. Like I said, I don't mind trying to help out as best as I can. Cause like I said, I want to see this game continuously evolve and grow. Um, and like I said, I want to be able to help out, you know, anybody that I can to be successful. Tell moms, I said, hello. For sure. Tell the cousins, I said, what's up? That's for sure. And, um, you know, I think one of the greatest honors for me is, is if um, next year we're able to go in the Hall of Fame together. That'd be that'd be awesome. That's for sure, man. I, that would be a, that, well. First, I'm gonna see if we can drink all the Crown in Hamilton, <laughs> like from every bar. <laughs> I I don't know how good of an idea that is because those few days, like. How many days do you actually get when you get like how many? Well, how you're, many you might be working. I'm not working. <laughs> I, wasn't even, I wasn't even thinking about that part. That All the commits telling the book BC versus Hamilton that week. We got, he just needs to put us on a buy. I don't want to work that week at all. I need to be yeah. able to do what I want to do for that week. Like, I don't want to be half doing it and they got to go coach a game like i want to be off like all the way i need three days of just off <laughs> like <laughs> i need it all off man but nah, honestly but that would be a pleasure man honestly man like i said man i i there's so many guys that you respect you know and things like that and um you know based off of everything that's going on you know saying in this world right now you know everybody talks about you know giving people their you know give their people their, their roses and their flowers right now while they're alive one thing i will say is man there's only so many people that approach the game like you did. You know what I'm saying? There's only so many people that play like it, but also to the same extent, there's a difference of effectiveness. And there's some people that can approach the game, but, you know, they're just pretty decent. There's some people that approach the game well, and, you know, they were okay. But to be great for so long where all your peers respect you, you know what I'm saying, and how you approach the game, 
speaks volumes. And we, you know, people might talk about, you know, this, that, and other, whatever else. But one thing everybody knew was you're going to come to play with an intent to dominate. And I think that's how people have to approach the 100%. game. You know what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day, that's the only way that you're going to give your best. Or if, if that person ain't matching that, then you're going to get your ass toe up. And yes, that's sir. just that's the reality of the world right now. So, you know what I'm saying? Like I said, man, you're definitely one of the best ever that I didn't saw. You're one of the best ever I ever played, you know what I'm saying, against and with. Appreciate and you, brother. I said, man, that's something that should be passed along to younger guys. So hopefully, you know what I'm saying, regardless of coaching opportunity or not, like I said, you have a gift to be able to share with somebody, man, whether that's the young or the old, like I said, to be able to help them be a better player, man. So I appreciate it. Indeed, brother. I appreciate you so much. So much respect uh, to you as well because you definitely dominated the game every time you played except for when you played Calgary. <laughs> and I just had one last question for you. Are you back on uh, book two of power? No. You're not on book two of power. I'm not at all. So, so um, Mayor Tate's not going to be back on book two of power? What do you mean? I'm not, I'm not him. <laughs> oh, you're not Lorenz Tate? Hey, man. <laughs> I am sick of you, man. I'm sick. But what is that dropping anyway? It ain't September. Dropping. September. Yeah, September 12th, I think, or 20th, somewhere in there. Man, do you think it's still going to be – is it going to be the same, though? I don't know. Tyreek always got on my nerves anyway. And that's what I'm saying, man. I feel like I'm going to be in it for the first, like, four episodes, and I'm just going to be like, man, this is just not it. I could imagine okay. little RP doing that to you. Oh, just, man. just you know, my daddy a hater. Hey, my mama. <laughs> <laughs> my mama would kill him before that. Talk about, boy, you know you got no business doing all this. Man. Hey, <laughs> ain't no way. Not the way he be acting, boy. I would have been killed that boy. <laughs> ain't no way in hell, boy. Mm-mm. But now, I mean, it give us something to watch. Like I said, if ain't nothing else going on, I mean, I guess it give us something to do. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, good luck this season. Good yeah, luck in the future. Um, looking forward to seeing you on my next project I got coming out soon. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned. Check RP out. He'll be on the sidelines. You'll be in the box this year or on the sidelines? You know yet? Uh, yeah, but I, I think the way it is, I'll probably be in the box, though. With some Lululemons. <laughs> and some Jordans. Oh, you know that. <laughs> I ain't putting them. I ain't putting the mother shoes on at all. You know it. So hey, I already got them lined up. They ready to go. <laughs> this is the Lulu Logic Podcast, and we out. <laughs>